Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning, I'm Denko with your Market View. And as always, joining us to analyze the latest market actions is Ryan Huang. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Dan. All right, Ryan. Now, the biggest news and the first on today's agenda is U.S.-China relations. And it looks like both the U.S. and China are hitting the break on tensions, or at least for now. Yeah, that's hogging the headlines. Yeah, it is. And uh, U.S. Secretary of State um, Antony Blinken, yesterday he ended high-stakes visit to Beijing with an unexpected meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. And Blinken's trip, which had not initially confirmed the meeting with Xi on the agenda, makes him the first and the highest-level American of official visit to China since U.S. President Joe Biden assumed leadership as well as the first U.S. Secretary of State to make a trip in nearly five years. So what exactly went down during the short 35 minutes meeting? And were there any signs that these meetings perhaps helps to help to resolve any major differences on a range of issues? Yeah, that's a good outline. So over the weekend, he already met with his counterpart, uh, Ti Gang, I believe. And this is something that he is now taking up another level, meeting the number one in China, Xi Jinping. Mm. So he is making a lot of headway when it comes to building better bilateral relationships between the US and China. So that 35-minute meeting seemed to be quite fruitful. Looking at the reports and the details we have, uh, you've got both sides agreeing on the need for the US and China to stabilize bilateral ties. So you've got Xi Jinping saying whether the two countries can find the right way to get along bears on the future and destiny of humanity. So he is painting how much of a high stakes it is for both countries to just get along in order for global growth and also for global harmony to be uh, prospering. So that's the, I guess, both sides on the same page there. But Mm -hmm. there is something they kind of acknowledge and this is with Anthony Blinken saying that Washington has no illusions about the challenges of managing the relationship. And I Mm. think as we've seen in the past few years, it has been quite choppy. There are a lot of sticking points when it comes to both sides. You have business, you've got trade, you've got politics. And among the issues, of course, is what's playing out when it comes to Taiwan. So the US and China remain at odds over trade, intellectual property disputes, human rights concerns, China's support for Russia's war in Ukraine, and US limits on advanced technology. So nothing was solved on that front. But mm. they did say they want to make progress on the front. So whether they can do it is another story. Uh, but at least both are looking in the same direction. Both are talking. So I guess that's the bright side of um, the matter. And glass half full, if you want to look at it. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit of good news here. The fact that they're willing to step up and uh, uh, resume communications between the two uh, superpowers as well. And in fact, you know, we've also got, I mean, if you just remember over the weekend, he undertook talks with Chinese Foreign Minister Ching Kang. And both he, Ching, Ching Kang actually said that, you know, it was a candid, substantive, substantive as well as constructive talk. So I suppose there's some good news for the, in, in terms of the political front here. But Ryan, you know, shortly after Blinken's plane left Beijing, China's foreign ministry also to, 
took a downbeat tone in playing down the C meeting as purely a matter of quote-unquote courtesy and laying the blame on the US for frictions. So what do you make of this and does this play down the significance of the meeting between Blinken and C? Yeah, so it is quite reflective of the relationship, right? It's been a back and forth, one step forward, two steps back. So that is something we have to take into account and especially so as we head into the U.S. presidential election season coming up. We've got a lot of campaigning happening. You've got potentially more anti-China rhetoric that might come forth. So looking at China's foreign ministry taking a not-so-optimistic view of the meeting, perhaps just downplaying expectations, uh, perhaps being more realistic in that sense of what can be achieved. Um, You have to, I guess, look at it in that vein that maybe it is really the realistic way to look at it because they have not been able to resolve many issues in the past few years. How are they going to do it in the next few years? Mm. So that is going to be a big question mark. But well, at least they are talking. Things have been worse before. Um, so hopefully they make headway in the coming years. Yeah, in fact, China's, China has reasons to want to cool tensions as well. I mean, Beijing is facing an increasingly challenging geopolitical landscape. Yes, the US blocks China's access to high-tech chips and you know, to in, in efforts to hinder its military progress and put pressure on to see to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, but, you have to remember as well, um, the Anthony Blinken visit, this is a delayed visit. The February visit that was supposed to happen was cancelled because yeah. of the spy balloon incident. So mm. this is just reflective of how things go back and forth. Yeah, very, very, very interesting here. We've also got Blinken, you know, saying that yeah, the US is seeking to de-risk its relationship with China, but isn't seeking to decouple from its largest trading partner or contain its economic rise. He portrayed the limits the US has imposed on technology exports to China as narrowly focused on sensitive, sensitive national security areas, not sweeping limits. But so far, Beijing doesn't seem to be convinced by that. So we'll have to see how things progress from here. But of course, I think this is definitely, uh, hopefully, maybe a start of a light to the end of the tunnel. Now let's bring this conversation over to Japan, where we've got news of Warren Buffett raising his stakes in five Japanese trading houses. Now Berkshire Hathaway said yesterday that it is its wholly owned subsidiary National Indemnity Company has increased its stake in five Japanese trading firms to average more than 8.5%. Now these companies are namely Itochu, Marubeni, Mitsubishi, Mitsui and Sumitomo. So Ryan, why is Bu- why is Buffett doubling down on his investment in Japan, and to what extent would it add to the, you know, the momentum that's driving Japan's stock market to new heights? Yeah, so Buffett going shopping, and for some time actually he's been saying no, he can't find way to spend his money, but it wow. looks like Japan is where he sees opportunity, and he is doubling down on his earlier investments through outlining the five conglomerate, the five trading houses. So they have. Everything to do from gas trading to salmon farming and much more. So it's quite an investment in the Japanese economy. And a lot of market watchers in recent weeks have been pointing to Japan recovering and bouncing back much stronger than other countries, which is why we've been seeing the likes of Nikkei 225 Japanese stocks just rallying this year. Mm. And they are now near 33-year highs, even though yesterday was not a great day. It is on a good year so far. And if you look at Warren Buffett's latest move, 
bringing up his stake to an average of over 8.5% is yeah. quite a strong vote of confidence mm. that um, Japan is the way to go. And I think a lot of Buffett believers will also do what Buffett does and join the ride. Yeah, propelling Japanese silks to a 33-year high. You know, more specifically, the Topics Wholesale Trade Index, which include Mitsubishi and other peers, they've soared 39% this year, overtaking electric appliance makers as well. Now, the five firms are the largest of Japan's so-called Sogo Shosha, or general trading companies, and they focus on diversified long-term investments that prioritize value and cash flow. And traditionally, they have been central to imports of energy, minerals and food into Japan, as well as exporters of finished products. So Ryan, is it too late to jump on the bandwagon? Is there still room for the share prices for trading companies to bounce after additional buying was announced? Okay, you've got a mix of views here. So there is an argument that, hey, maybe there is still room to go. If mm. you look at how Japan has been performing, it is riding some momentum, partly with the view from many market watchers that Japan is just riding the recovery uh, momentum. And you also have a couple of things. If you look at what Berkshire Hathaway is planning, they want or have the room to increase their investments up to 9.9% of each of the five Japanese firms. Right now it's around 8.5% each. So they might buy more of those shares and that could then lead to more momentum. But some market watchers believe that it has already been priced in largely the expectations of the performance of Japan and its economy and the stock market. Um, so that's one side of the picture. And the other side, of course, is the well, expectations of things being priced in. Mm. Uh, worth noting is share buybacks from some of these companies are being fueled by some of the um, money they made last year from the rise in energy prices. Mm. So they've got some spare cash and if they do more share buybacks, it could fuel another round of momentum for Japanese stocks. Wow. Very interesting here. Yeah, seeing how the stocks have rallied so far, but there are signs of overheating in most specifically the trading house sector because the topics wholesale trade index, which I've mentioned earlier, has soared about 39% this year to become the best performing sector in a country's stock market and has been trading in what some may say technically overbought territory since earlier this month. It looks really high and scary right here, but I suppose um, it depends on how you look at it and how much risk you're willing to take. Now we're going to play a game of up or down. If, and if you're a regular on the show, you'll be familiar with this. I'll pick a stock or a topic and you'll guess whether it's going to be an up or a down. Ryan, are you ready? Let's go. First on the list, we've got Renault. All right, Renault is going to be a... I think an up for me. And mm. this is because someone is leaving. So it is the Nissan COO. So his departure is being viewed as positive oh. because it means it will help to rebalance their decades-long alliance. So there's been always some friction between both sides uh, because of um, this wider agreement they have to cooperate. Yeah. And, but then when it comes to the entity, the joint venture entity, so to speak, um, it has always been tilted towards Nissan. So now with Nissan seeing 
someone leaving and he is the COO Ashwani Gupta, that could then help to reshape or reframe the current agreement between two companies to be more of a level playing field. Yeah, in fact, it was reported earlier that the COO was being forced out after clashing with CEO Marco to. Uchida. In opposing terms, Renault had wanted to return in for reducing its stake in Nissan. So, Renault aims to finalize the deal by the year end, with some of uh, insider people saying that the talks could move quickly in the coming weeks and potentially leading to a final agreement by the end of the summer. So, it looks like uh, some good news for them and um, I'm going to go with an up for Renault. Renault. Now let's move on over to Japan EV automakers. All right, this is going to be a down for me, but it's quite mixed. So they've signed a critical minerals deal with the US. So that's great to strengthen the supply chains, but it's a long way to go for their auto making industry. They have a lot to catch up on if they want to get back or at least get a slice of the pie because they are behind the curve, way behind China when they are. Um, looking to promote more EVs. Yeah, it's lagging a lot. In fact, we're seeing while the Western and Chinese automakers controlled approximately 90% of the global EV markets in uh, 2022, their Japanese peers accounted for less than 5%. But uh, this is a good start for them and uh, a signing of a critical minerals deal with the US is probably going to be some good news for them here. I'm going to go with an up for Japanese EV automakers. Let's move on over to China's economy. All right, China's economy is going to be a down for me. And mm. this is the familiar tune that a lot of people have been singing. So we've been seeing the reopening story fading, the optimism fading, and the likes of Goldman Sachs is the latest to cut its forecast for full-year growth, now expecting 5.4% this year. The earlier forecast was 6%. So they've been following the likes of UBS, Bank of America, JP Morgan, all downgrading their China full year GDP estimates. And of course, uh, we've been tracking what China will do. Mm. And today, they have cut two more key lending rates as a way to help revive the economy, hoping to make borrowing costs lower. Mm -hmm. And this is off the back of weak data recently including the likes of industrial production, fixed asset investment to retail sales and trade. The latest figures in May have fallen short of expectations. And now China is just trying to do what it can to help revive the economy. But again, the question is cutting rates, is it going to be enough? Do they need more fiscal policies or other ways, targeted spending policies? Because the appetite to borrow may not be there even though rates may be lower. Yeah, interesting, yes. News just broke this morning that the People's Bank of China cut another key policy rate for the first time in 10 months as, you know, they're showing signs of uh, of its economy stalling as well. And the latest cut comes against the heel of two previous easing moves last week as authorities, they seek to prop up growth in the economy. Now, the central bank cut the one-year loan prime rate by 10 basis points from 3.65% to 3.55% and trimmed the five-year loan prime rate by 10 basis points to 4.2%. And that's for the first time since August. So this move was actually widely expected after a slew of economic data in the last few weeks from 
industrial production and fixed asset investment to retail sales and trade, they all fell short of expectations. And it's showing, you know, signs of a brink of deflation as the reopening optimism fizzles. So like what you've mentioned, Goldman Sachs, they are the latest uh, of the Wall Street banks to cut China's growth outlook as the post-COVID bounces fade. So I'm going to go with the down for this one as well, because there appears to be a lot of... uh, weakened sentiment as well as the medium-term challenges such as demographics, the multi-year property downturn, local government implicit implicit debt problems, as well as geopolitical tensions. So lots of issues for them to juggle here. I'm going to go with a down for China's economy. Let's move on. Last on the list, we've got Great Eastern Holdings. Mm, I'm going up because its major shareholder, OCBC, has raised its stake in Great Eastern from mm. 87.9% to 88.4%. So a bit of a vote of confidence for OCBC for Great Eastern. And this is worth noting, this is despite Great Eastern being a drag on the bank's performance in recent quarters. So Great oh. Eastern has not been doing well despite that. OCBC still feels it's worth investing even more in Great Eastern. And some of the remarks recently is that OCBC believes in Great Eastern for the long term and feels it is something they want to build on. Hmm. Big confidence here by the by OCBC. And yes, looks like uh, they see it. they're seeing something here and, and, and of a great value in Great Eastern. So I'm going to go with an up for Great Eastern as well. All right, Ryan, thank you so much as always for breaking down for us the latest market actions. We'll catch you again tomorrow at the same time, same place. Meanwhile, continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.